Pearl Harbor, World Trade Center. When somebody mentions these places, we know immediately what they're talking about. The surprise attack on the Pearl Harbor Naval Base in 1941. The World Trade Center, the, the terrorist attack on 9-11 in New York City, the, the site of that terrorist attack. Both of those events occurred within living memory. Both places are cemented in our mind as being associated with, with war, with defeat and loss and death. So too, it would have been the case in Isaiah's day with Zebulun and Naphtali on an even greater scale. The two places that are mentioned, both in our first reading from the prophet Isaiah and then quoted by Matthew in our gospel. Zebulun and Naphtali would have evoked painful memories of war and defeat and loss on an even grander scale, and all within living memory of Isaiah's day. You see, Israel was comprised of 12 tribes from the 12 sons of Jacob. When they entered the promised land, each tribe was given a portion of land. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northernmost tribes near the Sea of Galilee. So what happened there? Well, 740 B.C., uh, we're several hundred years after the split. If you remember, the ten northern tribes, they break away, form the northern kingdom. The two southern ones are Judah, which includes Jerusalem, so it's very powerful and influential, and then Benjamin. They're the southern kingdom. And the Assyrian army invades from the north, beginning with Zebulun and Naphtali, it conquers, they conquer Israel from the top down. That northern kingdom is wiped off the map after this invasion. They make it all the way to Jerusalem. They're besieging this holy city. They're going to take it, but the Lord intervenes dramatically and they're, they're put to flight. And this Assyrian invasion was an unmitigated disaster. This land that God had given to the sons of Jacob, uh, to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, it was gone. It was conquered. Tens of thousands of people, of Israelites, were put into chains and marched in forced exile, never to return. Isaiah was a young man when all this took place, a young prophet in Jerusalem. So when he makes this prophecy, he's not trying to stir up trauma from the recent past. No, he's doing it to give hope. He's saying that Zebulun and Naphtali, the same place where hope began to be extinguished in Israel, it is there the Lord will restore hope. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwell in the land of gloom, a light has shone. Those who witnessed their land conquered, their family members and friends put in chains and marched away, this land of gloom, a light from on high will shine. That will bring liberation, right? The yoke that burdened them, the pull on their shoulder, the rod of their taskmaster you have smashed is on the day of Midian. There'll be this dramatic liberation. And if I had read this in Isaiah's day, I would assume it would be against some foreign adversary. In a sense, it is. But it's a, this great light from on high will liberate us from a much worse slavery than Slavery to Assyria, or Egypt, or Babylon. It's a slavery to sin, death, and the devil. 
So St. Matthew, when he's composing his gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he applies this passage, excuse me, this passage from Isaiah to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry because Jesus fulfills this 700-year-old prophecy. Jesus is the light of the world, come to scatter the darkness of sin and death. Very name Jesus means God saves. He comes to save us. Again, not from a foreign military adversary like Assyria, but from sin and Satan and death. And then Jesus is from Zebulun and Naphtali. He's from Nazareth. Yes, he's born in Bethlehem, but he's from Nazareth. And then what does he do in our first read, or excuse me, in our gospel? Says that he goes to live in Capernaum by the sea. Again, in Zebulun and Naphtali. From these territories that are associated with the demise of Israel will come its Savior. So we have this prophecy of great hope that Matthew applies to Jesus. But here's the interesting thing, right? This prophecy of great hope that's applied to Jesus, what comes right before it? We're told that John was arrested, and because John was arrested, Jesus had to withdraw to Galilee. John the Baptist is the herald of the coming Messiah, this Savior who's going to restore the kingdom of God, and not just restore it, but bring about its fulfillment. This guy's arrested? Why? And maybe you're saying, look, John was kind of a rough character. I'm sure he stepped on some people's toes. I'm sure he didn't pull any punches. And that's what got him in trouble. Well, it's true he didn't pull any punches. But what happened to John, we will see a pattern emerge. It's true in all the Gospels, but especially in Matthew's. Jesus occasionally encounters popularity for his healings and miracles, but in general, he faces throughout this gospel hostility and conflict at every turn. I'll give, I'll give a couple of examples. So in chapter 2, Jesus is a baby. And the Magi come to Herod. And they say, we've been following this star. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We want to give him homage. Matthew tells us that Herod and all of Jerusalem with him are greatly troubled at this news. Here is this promised Messiah who will be like a light shining in the darkness and in a land of gloom, who will smash the rod of our taskmaster as God smashed the, ar- the army uh, of the Midianites in the, in the days of Gideon. And Herod and Jerusalem are greatly troubled. More than that, Herod, upon learning that the wise men wouldn't tell him where the infant Christ was, massacres every uh, infant boy in Bethlehem. Jesus comes to save us from sin, death, and the devil. That includes Herod. He comes to save Herod. Herod wants to dwell, however, in this land of gloom and darkness and sin because his God ultimately is not the Lord. It's his power or his prestige. And he so fears losing it, he's willing to massacre a whole, village of innocent, a whole village worth of innocent children to hang on to it. Or, like, let's go back to John. Let's think of John. Matthew chapter 3. John is now an adult. He's preparing the way for Christ. Pharisees and Sadducees come out to question him. And John pulls no punches. He calls them a brood of vipers. He demands that they show fruit of their repentance. 
Why? Why doesn't the Baptist say, hey, good news, the Messiah is coming. Why isn't he nicer? Because the men John rebukes, they're not as bad as Herod. It wouldn't be right to compare him to Herod. But still, while they outwardly appear righteous, for many of them, their gods were power or wealth, were honor or prestige, pleasure or comfort. Like Herod, they didn't welcome the announcement of Christ, instead seeing him as a threat to whatever idol they had secretly for themselves. Hostility and conflict faced Jesus throughout Matthew's gospel. And the reason for it is that since the fall of our first parents, the world has been opposed to God and those who seek God's will. This is why Jesus' proclamation of of the kingdom echoes the intensity of John the Baptist. What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away from the way of the world, from the false gods of pleasure and power, wealth and prestige. Drop your nets and follow me. In every age, the spirit of the world is hostile and in conflict with Christ, with his followers, with his church, and that's true today. I mean, if we seek to follow Jesus, it will mean there's a real sense in which we have to live as a stranger in our own land. We will find ourselves unable to submit to the secular orthodoxies of the day. We will find ourselves living by uh, striving to live a morality that has fallen out of step with the modern world's sensibilities. But the truth is that no one passively enters the kingdom of heaven. No, the kingdom demands a decisive response on our part. We must repent and follow him. We must let go of the nets, so to speak. Our blessed Lord, he later fleshes this out more. He says, if any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. The world is opposed to God, hostile to his kingdom. Christ told us this would happen. He said, in the world you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So let us do not be afraid. Do not hesitate to respond by dropping our nets, picking up our cross, and following Jesus into the kingdom of heaven.